Good morning, Harvest Church. Uh, the few of you that are able to be here today, also good morning to those of you that are uh, going to be listening to this message online and uh, going to be uh, doing it a little bit later. I encourage you, Nate, if you would go ahead and take that music down, turn that off. I would just encourage you, uh, whether you're able to be here from time to time uh, with what we're doing or if, um, if you're staying at home with your family, just make sure you're paying attention to all of the announcements that we're doing, whether it's on the Remind app, whether it's via email. Um, just make sure that you're still being locked into what we're doing as much as possible uh, with everything that's going on. So um, just encourage you to stay plugged in as much as you can and uh, be a part of all that we're doing at Harvest Church. Also, online giving is still uh, 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 an option. If you want to give online, if you want to mail in your tithes and offerings, uh, do that uh, as well um, and make sure that you're still supporting Harvest Church financially in addition to your prayers uh, and when you're able to be at service. So uh, having said that, I think we're ready for worship. As we focus on communion, those of you that might be listening at home, uh, if you want to get uh, some communion elements together for you and your family, uh, we will be doing communion towards the end of service today. There was a moment when the lights went out Death had claimed its victory The king of love had given up his life The darkest day in history There on a cross they made for sinners For every curse his blood atoned Final breath and it was finished But not the end we could have known For the earth began to shake And the veil was torn What sacrifice was made As the heavens
for shame for you took it all away with the cost of your life sing Jesus
Come, come here and try to set some things in perspective and try to go over and, and keep ourselves on course. There is so much happening and it's happening so fast. It's a day-by-day thing. And I am so excited. There's so much on the inside of me. Man, we, are, we were born for a time, Amen. for this time. And last year... At the, about the time of the flood, we kept talking about Isaiah chapter 43, verse 19, and it says, where God says, behold, I will do a new thing. And we've talked about that throughout the year. God is doing a new thing. He's doing a new thing at Harvest Church. He's doing a new thing in this nation. Hopefully, he's doing a new thing in your life. And so right now, we are in a new era. We have entered the new era, but we are in the transition phase of that new era. 
And this week we listened, Mike and I listened uh, to another podcast by Dutch Sheets and, and Chuck Pearson. Encourage you, if uh, you want to do that, get online and, and listen to that. But he talked about, they talked about how God is positioning the nations. He's realigning the nations. And all year this year, the one scripture I can't get away from is in Psalm 46, where it says, be still and know that I am God. And it goes beyond that. And it says, because I will be exalted among the nations and I will be exalted on the earth. And that's what's happening right now. And so many people, we get so caught up of looking what's going on in the natural with the coronavirus and all the implications with that, that we forget sometimes to look at what God's doing, the bigger picture. Satan is always a show off. He's going to show up and try to make a big scene. God is just more subtle, and we need to be still, and we need to watch for those subtlenesses, and because God's at work. He's at work behind the scenes, and we need to be aware of that. We need to be aware in Ephesians 6.12, it says, For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers and rulers of darkness. When we get frustrated with situations and people and and, and different things, we need to realize that we are not wrestling against those people. We are wrestling against the forces of darkness, and we need to keep that in perspective. Now, um, this is what I want to, if you have your Bibles, turn to Ephesians chapter 3. Now, we've all read this scripture before, but this is what I want you to see. If you can, look at the United States of America as a great ship. And you know, some of these great ships, they're huge. They're two, three football fields long, and they can take off and land planes on them. They're huge. And that's what the United States is like right now. And we we look at these ships... And they're so large. And you say, well, what's God doing? Why doesn't God just come in and stop this right now? If you see the United States as a ship, for 60 or 70 70 years, the United States has been turning away from what its, its eternal purpose. God brought this nation into being for a purpose. We are to be, Ronald Reagan talked about it, like a, a light on a hill. Like a beacon. We are called to give and to help the other nations. We're called to put forth the gospel. And we're called to promote liberty. And for the last 60, 70 years, as long as most of us can remember, the United States has gradually made a turn away from that. We've begun, the nation as a whole has begun to turn its back on the things of God. Not everybody. There's always a remnant. But as a nation, there's been more corruption, more materialism more self-centeredness, more self-seeking. Well, if you look at that big ship, that ship's been turned the wrong direction. God's bringing the ship back in the right direction. A ship does not, a ship that size doesn't just make a real fast turn. It takes a gradual, gradual turning. And that's where we're at right now. God's starting to turn the ship. And we want to stay on course with that. Now in chapter, Ephesians chapter 3, 
Wait a minute. I have the wrong scripture here. But anyway, in Ephesians, you can look this up on your own, but it's in Ephesians, and he talks about, look at the ships. Although they are so large and are driven by fierce winds, they are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. That rudder is the tongue. And what, I'm sorry, that was in James 3. I had Ephesians. James 3, chapter 4. Look also at the ships. Although they are so large, they are driven and are driven by fierce winds. They are turned by a very small rudder wherever the pilot desires. That rudder that it's speaking about is the tongue. And what have we talked about all year? What have the prophets been saying this year? We need to declare and decree the word of God. Because those words is what are what are turning the ship. And it will turn the ship in the right way. Now the ship turns slowly, but I find this very interesting. Another scripture I want you to look at is 2 Corinthians chapter 1. I don't know if you realize this or not, but there are two, the United States now has two huge emergency medical ships. One is docked outside of New York City, and one is docked off the coast of California right by Los Angeles. The names of those ships, the one at New York City is Comfort, and the one at Los Angeles is Mercy. And if any time New York City needs comfort, it's right now. And California surely needs mercy. And if you also watch the news this week, some guy driving a locomotive tried to run his train into the ship Mercy and knock it off course. But he didn't do it because he isn't going to throw God's mercy off course. Now, in, in second, did I say, second Corinthians chapter 1, Verse 3, let me read some of this for you. With all that in mind, God's mercy and comfort. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. The United States right now, no matter what it looks like, we are surrounded by the mercy and the comfort of God. And he's going to bring us through this. Who comforts us in all our tribulation that we may be able to comfort those who are in trouble. That is the purpose of the United States right there. He's going to comfort us in tribulation and enable us to comfort those around the world. With the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God, for as the sufferings of Christ abound in us, so our consolation abounds through Christ Jesus. So it's very important that you realize, don't, dwell on what satan's doing and the enemy's doing look at what god's doing we're surrounded by his goodness by his comfort and by his mercy but it's very important that we continue to speak the word of god over this nation over this state over this church our communities and our lives and families so keep keep those things in mind And then I want to end with this in Psalm uh, 133, if you would look there. They talked about, Chuck Pearson, about how God is changing our nation. It's turning in the way it should go. And it's getting us back to our eternal purpose, our, 
our God-given destination. And as a church, as a body of Christ, for so long we've been so central-focused, we have to now turn back and go where God wants us to go. We've got to be one body. We've got to be thinking about others other than just self, self, self. And in Psalm 133, it says, Behold, how good and pleasant it is for brethren to dwell together in unity. It is like precious oil upon the head, running down on the beard, the beard of Aaron, running down on the edge of his garments. It is like the dew of Hermon descending on the mountains of Zion, for there the Lord commanded the blessing life forevermore. Every day is something new. And we don't, you know, we are in that era of transition. And it's, you don't know really day by day, it's all new territory. Worship is going to be all new. But we need to follow after the guidelines in the scripture. And the one thing last year we as a church should realize that the destruction that came through the flood for us, for me, was greatly overwhelmed by the goodness and the by the mercy and the unity of God's people and that's I believe what he's he wants to endeavor to do in our lives right now it's important so important that we stay in unison and in unity and it talks about that in this chapter because that's that precious oil running down that anointing oil that brings the yoke, that brings the anointing of God, is, which is what we want, it is put in place when we are in unison and in unity. And it talks about running down the beard of Aaron. Aaron represent, represent, represents the priests. So it's very important that we follow after what the, the fivefold ministries are saying right now and stay in step with one another, stay in harmony, stay out of strife, stay out of the flesh. And some days it can be difficult, but we can do it. We rule over our own human spirits. So I just want to encourage you, stay in the word, speak the word, realize God's at work in all of this. And it's going to take just a little time for that big ship to make the full turn. And stay in unity, stay in harmony, in harmony. And keep tuned in. Right now is the time that we should be really drawing our strength on God, on his word, getting ourselves built up spiritually so when when it's time to go, we're ready to go because there's going to be a lot to do. Ushers, if you want to receive, this was nothing about really the offering, but ushers, you can go ahead and receive this morning's tithes and offerings. I also want to remind you one thing I forgot is they they talked about on what we were listening about the importance of Passover. Everybody this week is thinking about Easter, but we need to recognize and realize this week is also the Jewish Passover, and it's very significant this year. So I would encourage you this week as you read the Word, as you read your Bible, read the book of Exodus where it talks about the Passover and everything that happened there. Paul told Timothy, he said, 
Pastor Timothy, you better preach the word in season and out of season. When it's convenient and when it's not convenient. Amen. Well, you know, things are kind of inconvenient right now, but we still need to preach the word of God. Amen. And that's what we'll endeavor to do. The scripture says in Proverbs, My son, attend to my words, incline thine ear unto my sayings. Let them not depart from thine eyes. Keep them in the midst of thine heart, for their life unto those that find them, and health to all their flesh. Now, you're at home. A lot of people are at home from Harvest Church. You better be listening to the word. No excuse. Thank God for technology. Thank God for computers and the Internet and Facebook and all that. I would hope that you are at home, you're in the comfort of your home, sitting on your couch or at your table, and you can drink coffee, no problem. (laughs) But you need to get the word. Now is not the time to play catch-up. In getting the word in your heart, harvest church, you've got to get the word into your heart. Amen? Because it's life and health and medicine to all your flesh. Now we're going to go on, and we kind of took a little bit of a diversion and doing a little mini-series we started last week on the purpose of the cross. And we have five questions up here, and it says, number one, why did God create man? Number two, why did Christ die? Number three, what does the cross represent? Number four, why is the average Christian an enemy to the cross? And then number five, what does spiritual maturity demand? And so we looked at this and we talked about last week, there's a danger in the body of Christ repurposing the gospel. In other words, they they take something like a repurposed item. That's the big thing right now is to repurpose an item. Take something that's old and then combine it with something that's new and, and have it repurposed. It's a remixture of parts. Dr. Martin Lloyd said this, There's nothing so likely to lead to error or heresy as to start with the parts rather than the whole. The Message Bible in 2 Timothy 4 verse 1 says, You're going to find there will be times when people will have no stomach for solid teaching, but will fill up on spiritual junk food, catchy opinions that tickle their fancy. They'll turn their backs on truth or they'll turn their backs on the whole gospel and choose mirages or chase mirages. Too many believers are enamored today by the parts they're interested in. And what meets or satisfies their needs at the time instead of pursuing God's whole purpose for his body. And we learned last week that God's original purpose, we answered that first question, God's original purpose for man is this, we were created for him. We were created for his pleasure and purpose. And so today we're going to go on and and I want to read to you, I, I read from this book, it's one of my favorite books by David Ravenhill, it's entitled For God's Sake, Grow Up, and we're going to go ahead and answer this correct question today. Why did Christ die? Why did Christ die? He says, over the years, as I've ministered in various foreign, foreign countries, I've repeatedly asked the question, why did Jesus die? Yes, Christ died to atone our sin, 
But what was the but was that the only purpose? He said this. He says, "Let me use an illustration to help deepen our understanding of why Christ died." Suppose, for example, my wife and I have lived with, without transportation for many years. Finally, we have saved enough money to buy our first car. After days of shopping around, I settle on an automobile I believe to be suitable for our needs. The car, while in reasonable mechanical order, is far from tidy. The years and miles have taken their toll. Happily, though, I drive it home and begin cleaning it up. As I remove the seats, I find a thick layer of grime and an assortment of lost coins and toys. The outside proves to be even more of a challenge. The paint has faded. Dust, dirt, and tar have laid claim to the finish. But slowly the grime is washed away and a new coat of polish brings a welcome shine. Now at last the car begins to reveal something of her former glory. Upon finishing the job, I walk into the house and proudly display to my wife my bucket of filthy water. Look at all this dirt, honey, I exclaim. See what our hard work has accomplished. Well, obviously something's terribly wrong. Nobody in his right mind would give all he had simply for a bucket of dirty water. My intention in buying the car was not its grime, but the car itself. The reason I gave all that I had was because I needed the car. I purchased it as my own to serve my purpose. Let's take my car illustration even further and assume I bought the car years before when it was brand new, ordering it special from the factory with a custom paint job and unique set of accessories. This car has, had been created just for me. Then somehow over the years we had parted and the car had been abused and neglected. Now at last I have found my car. I buy it back and go about the difficult task of cleaning and restoring. Although the illustration is far from perfect, it conveys a popular misconception about the cross. To most of us, the death of Christ served only one purpose, to wash the filth of sin from our lives. Yet I'm not convinced God is so interested in our sin. The Bible says as far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. God obviously is not in the business of collecting just your sin. And I thought that was a good analogy. Jesus Christ died on the cross not just for our sin, but also to become our Lord and Savior. So the cross was for man's benefit. Number one, but number two, it was for God's benefit. I want you to look in your Bibles, please, to Romans chapter 14. Romans chapter 14. If you're listening at home today, Romans chapter 14 and verse 7. It says, for none of us lives to himself and no one dies to himself. For if we live, we live to the Lord If we die, we die to the Lord. Therefore, whether we live or die, we are the Lord's. For to this end, Christ died and rose and lived again, that he might be Lord of both the dead and the living. Now, if you look at those two scriptures, you'll see that Lord is mentioned four times. 
And I think that's important. The Message Bible says it this way. That's why Jesus lived and died and then lived again. So that he could be our master. Everyone say master. Master across the entire range of life and death. Christ's death on the cross was not just for our sin, but to once again establish his lordship over our lives. Let me say that once more. Christ's death on the cross was not just for our sin, but to once again establish his lordship over our lives. If we were ever living in a time that Jesus Christ needed to be Lord of our lives, it's now. Not just our Savior, but our Lord. Do you remember the Apostle Paul when he fell, when God struck him down on, on the road to Damascus? Bright, shining light. And Paul basically said, Lord, what do you want me to do? And that's where we're at right now individually as believers. Where we're at corporately as a church, we should be asking the question, Lord, what do you want me to do? No confusion. No misunderstanding. We're not just interested in doing our part or, or, or being interested in part of the gospel, but we need to be interested in God's whole plan and God's whole purpose. And what does that require? Lordship. If Jesus Christ is your Lord, truly your Lord, there'll be no longer will there be any just interest in yourself. Or some part of the gospel that tickles your ears. But you will understand that you have a mandate. I have a mandate from God to get the gospel out there to people that need it. I was, as we were worshiping today, there's just a handful of people here. Three, four, five people here in the sanctuary. And I began to think about, you know, we walk by faith and not by sight. I believe in the days ahead, the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that's preaching the gospel, the full gospel, the good news of the gospel with signs, wonders, and miracles and following, there will be people lined up to get into the church. And see, I walk by faith and not by sight. I see this church building full of believers. And we, we, you know, you try to get everything lined up so p- people can get the gospel and hear the, the Sunday message in another room. But I believe in the days ahead, this sanctuary will be so full, there'll be an overflow in three or four other rooms. Why? Because the church is fulfilling the Father's plan, the Father's whole purpose. Not just our plan, not just our purpose. Now, the word Lord means this. The word signifies ownership, master, one who has absolute dominion, supreme authority, and unlimited power arising from ownership. Ownership means Jesus Christ is your master, one who has absolute dominion. See, and that's what you need to ask yourself this morning Yes, maybe you made Jesus Christ your personal Lord and Savior. Maybe He is your Savior. But have you yielded your entire spirit, soul, and body, your entire life to His dominion, to His authority? 
Is he your master? Is he your Lord? The church in this hour needs a fresh understanding of the Lordship of Christ. What does it truly mean to to have Jesus Christ as your personal Lord? You know, you're not... It's not going to be, well, Lord, what, I want to do this. I want to do that. I want to go there. I want to get involved with this task. No, you are going to say, Lord, here I am. Use me. What do you want me to do? Now, I want to read to you some scriptures. Look at 1 Corinthians 6. I'll have you look at this one. Look this up. And then I'll go ahead and I'll probably read a few to you. But I want to give you some scriptures that emphasizes lordship. That emphasizes lordship. Remember, we're asking ourselves questions in this series. Why did God create man? And why did Christ die? Why or what does the cross represent? Why is the average Christian an enemy to the cross? And number five, what does spiritual maturity demand? Now, 1 Corinthians chapter 6 and verse 19 says, Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? You are not your own, for you were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, And in your spirit, which are what? Does your body and spirit belong to you? No, the Bible says here that it it belongs to to God, your Father, your Heavenly Father. It's His. It's His property. We need to see, and we can see this from the Scripture, the purpose, the true purpose behind the cross. You, not just your sins, have been bought. You, not just your sins, and I I don't want you to think that I'm getting away from the importance of Jesus Christ becoming sin for us who knew no sin, that we might become the righteousness of God in Christ, but I want you to see there's another objective, there's another step there. Yes, he's removed our sins as far as the east from the west, but he's also made you his own. He is your Lord. Amen. Now, let me read to you some other scriptures. Galatians chapter 2 and verse 20 says, I've been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ lives in me. And the life that I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me. Say, loved me. And gave himself for me. Say, gave himself for me. See, Jesus not only died for your sin and took your sin and became sin for you, but he died so that he could have you. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 21 states that we will become vessels of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, and prepared for every good work. Say, I'm a vessel of honor, sanctified and useful for the master, Prepared for every good work. See, that's that's the mindset we need to have right now. 
prepared for the days that are ahead. Titus chapter 2 verse 13 says, Looking for the blessed hope and glorious appearing of our great God and Savior Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us, gave himself for us, that he might redeem us from every lawless deed and purify for himself his own special people, zealous for good works. See, we're special. Look at your neighbor. Say, I'm special. If you're home listening to this, look in the mirror and say, you're special. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 9. But you are a chosen generation, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, his own special people that you may proclaim the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light, who once were not a people, but are now the people of God who had not obtained mercy, but now have obtained mercy. So reading those scriptures, you should get the sense that, that God, yes, through his son Jesus Christ, he, he became sin, he took your sin, but he's not just interested in your sin, he's interested in lordship over you and I, using you and I as vessels of honor. 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 15 states, And he died for all, that those who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. I like that scripture. Let me read it again. Jesus died for all, that those who live. Are you living? Lift your hands. Lift your hands at home. I can really see you. By the Spirit, you're lifting your hands. He died for all that those who, who live should no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for them and rose again. You and I don't live for ourselves anymore. I said, you and I don't live just for our desires, our passions, our interests. We live for Jesus who died for us. He took our sin, but then we, he gave us the opportunity to, became, to become sons and daughters of the Most High God and that he could exert his lordship over our lives. Ephesians 2.10, I like this too. It says, For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. We are his workmanship. Now, I looked that up. That's an interesting word in the Greek. We get the word poem from that. The word in the Greek for workmanship is this. This is the definition. The word signifies that which is manufactured, a product, a design produced by an artisan. This word emphasizes God as the master designer. The universe is his creation and the redeemed believer as his new creation. We are God's, I like this, we are God's poem. Say that, I am God's poem. I am God's work of art. Now, you might not feel like a work of art right now. <laughs> you might not look. If you're at home, you probably didn't dress up. You're probably still in your pajamas, but you're still a work of art. And you and I, as 
part of the body of Christ, we need to see ourselves as God's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to do good works. Amen? Now, I want to read this. I started with reading from this book, and I'm going to close with this because it just says it. It's so important. Remember this morning, we're asking ourselves the question, why did Christ die? What does the cross represent? Why is the average Christian an enemy to the cross? And what does spiritual maturity demand? Let me read to you um, from, let me read, start here. It says, the author, David Ravenhill, says this, How we need to return to the biblical basis of conversion. The easy believism of today has produced a weak, pathetic church constantly in need of spiritual pep-me-up to keep it going. The average believer lives as an enemy of the cross. Now, when I read that and read the scripture, that really shook me. Listen, the average believer lives as an enemy of the cross, refusing its demands, but expecting to enjoy its privileges. Paul makes reference to these when he writes from Philippians chapter 3, verse 18. For many walk of whom I've often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ who set their minds on earthly things. I want to read that scripture once more. For many walk, of whom I've often told you, and now tell you, even weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ who set their minds on earthly things. The Bible says we're to set our affections on things above, not upon the things of earth. So if you and I right now, in the hour in which we're living, in this season, if we're so caught up in earthly things, whether it be your job, stewed about where you're going to get your next roll of toilet paper, how much money, how are you going to pay this bill? If you're caught up in anything but the Word of God, the Bible says, I didn't say it, the preacher didn't say it, the Scripture tells us that we're an enemy to the cross of Christ. How many of you want, I don't want to be an enemy to the cross of Christ. He says, they are absorbed in earthly matters, and this world is the limit of the horizon. And you know what the sad thing is? We think about the world, we think about those that aren't saved, those that aren't believers. But there are countless numbers of believers that are absorbed in earthly things right now. And their eyes are not on Jesus, their nose is not in the Bible, and they're talking gloom and doom. Amen? I was kind of ornery the other day, I walked into a store... I had a friend come up from my hometown. He needed to pick something up at a, a certain place of industry. I won't say who it was. And I walk in and just walked in the store. The door was unlocked. And I, this woman looked up from her desk and she had this look of panic on her face. And she says, well, you're not supposed to be in here. And I said, well, the door's open. I've got my friend here. He's, got a, he's called ahead. He's got to pick it up. And so they got him his product. And 
I walked to the back. To, I wanted to say to somebody, say hi to somebody who was working there. And so this wasn't very nice of me. I walked past the two women and I says, are we six foot apart? And I started to cough and walked out the door. That wasn't nice, was it? But, you know, we get so shook up. We get so excited about things. And I'll tell you what, if you're not in the book, if you're if you're not in the Scripture and reading the Scripture and meditating the Scripture, and especially right now, Harvest Church, you listen to me, you better be declaring and decreeing the Scripture. Not the problem, not the coronavirus, not the shortages. You say what the Word says. And if you haven't done it, it's going to be a new thing for you to do. But you better come up with a way that every day you're diligent, every day you're consistent in declaring and decreeing the word of the Lord. What did we start the year out? What did we say we need to declare over the church, over the White House? Mercy! Well, if all you can do is remember to do that every day, speak and declare mercy over the White House, mercy over Congress, Mercy over the Corona Health Task Force. Mercy over the church. Mercy over your family. But by all means, begin to speak it. He says this, Where are the men and women today who know the joy of full surrender, who are the people who grow up past spiritual infancy to be mature in Christ? Those prepared to follow the Lamb wherever he goes. Now, this is going to locate you if Jesus Christ is truly your Lord. Those that are prepared to follow the Lamb wherever he goes, those prepared to forsake all and follow him, those who genuinely seek first the kingdom of God, those who can say with Paul, the things that are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. Those whose response is, I delight to do thy will. Those of whom the world was not worthy, those who count not their lives as dear to themselves, those whose goal is to hear him say, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. He says, only as we begin to study the scriptures afresh do we begin to see how much of the church remains in spiritual infancy. That's sad, but it's true. I was alarmed some years ago to read Peter's warning from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. But false prophets also arose among the people, just as there will also be false teachers among you who will secretly introduce destructive heresies, even denying the master. Say master. Lord, who bought them, bringing swift destruction upon themselves. Boy, that's quite a, an alarming thing, isn't it? Notice Peter's warning of a teaching that will gradually creep into the church, the end result of which will deny Christ the lordship over those he has purchased, those whom he created for himself. It would appear that this is simply another way of saying, we will not have this man reign over us, crucify him. We accepted his provision of forgiveness, but we deny him the right 
to enlist us in his purpose. He says, in view of all this, how should we respond? First, we need to present ourselves unreservedly to the Lord in total surrender. Now, I hope you're listening. I'm almost done. We need to present ourselves unreservedly to the Lord in total surrender. The cross represents death, death to our own desires, own plans, ambitions, and goals. The cross is final and complete. Second, now that we are dead to self, we need to live for Christ. In order to fulfill this, we need to ask Lord, what will you have me to do? And that's the question I want all of us to ask ourselves today. Lord, what will you have me to do? There's a world out there to reach. There's neighbors that need to be reached. During this time, there are a lot of people that are hurting, that are sick, but there are a lot of people right now that are afraid And they're full of fear. And you need to say, Lord, how can I help these people? It is only when we recognize that we were created by him and for him and then respond by giving ourselves back to him that we can find and fulfill the purpose for which we were created Only then can we become authentic replicas of him in whose image we were created. That is so good. So this morning, we started by asking five questions. And I'm going to ask them and I'm going to answer them for you. Why did God create man, number one? We were made for him, for his pleasure and purpose. Number two, why did Christ die? For our sin and to establish his lordship over our lives. Number three, what does the cross represent? It represents man's benefit and God's benefit. Number four, why is the average Christian an enemy of the cross? Because the average Christian refuses its demands but expects its privileges. And number five, what does spiritual maturity demand? It demands total surrender to live for Jesus Christ all the days of your life. Amen? Now, what I'd like to do, we're going to go ahead and go into um, communion this morning. But I want to invite those that are at home that are listening right now, To get a piece of bread and a little bit of juice. You say, can I receive communion at home? Yes, you can receive communion at home with yourself every day if you want to. And as we do this this morning, I want you to ask yourself a couple questions. Number one. Does Jesus Christ have absolute ownership over my life? Does Jesus Christ have absolute ownership of me?
I don't want to rush this because I want you to take some time this morning before you partake of the bread and the juice. Are there areas of your life, are there areas of my life, the preacher's life, where you've not surrendered to him? Remember, if he's your Lord, he has total authority over your life. If he's your Lord, you're going to do what he asks you to do. No questions asked. So this morning, does Jesus Christ have absolute ownership over your life? And then number two, ask yourself this question. Lord, what would you have me to do? How do we start that with the first word? Lord. Lord, what would you have me to do? Amen. Ushers, if you'd kindly wait upon the people and hand out the elements, and then hold on to the element. If you're at home today, we'll partake of it together as one body.
this cup is the new covenant in my blood. This do as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death till he comes. Therefore, whoever eats this bread or drinks this cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. But let a man examine himself. So that's where we're at today. And so let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For he who eats and drinks in an unworthy manner eats and drinks judgment to himself, not discerning the Lord's body. For this reason, many are weak and sick among you, and many sleep. For if we would judge ourselves, we would not be judged. But when we are judged, we are chastened by the Lord, that we may not be condemned with the I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If anyone eats of this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I shall give is my flesh, which I shall give for all the life of the world. 1 Peter chapter 2.24 states to himself, For our sins in his own body on the tree, that we, having died to sins, might live for righteousness, by whose stripes... Father, we remember the whole body of Christ today throughout the whole world. Every part has a purpose. Every part has significance. Every part is needed so that the whole body can function together. So, Father, we desire to fulfill your, your purpose, your plans. And so, Lord God, we consecrate today and dedicate lives to Lord Jesus, declare you're not only our Savior, but you're our Lord. And we thank you for your precious body and all that it endured before the cross and on the cross. You suffered for us. You died for us that we might live again and experience true life, eternal life.
are my Savior and Lord over my life. I consecrate and dedicate my life for your service. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Let's sing that once more. Facebook. Amen? God bless you.